2: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
3: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks in the future and says we're clearly soldiers in petticoats and dauntless crusaders for
1: women's votes.
4: I'm Jonathan Strickland.
1: I'm Lauren Volkoban,
4: and I'm Joe McCormick, and today we're going to be probing the future of democracy.
1: Yeah,
3: we're specifically looking at this, uh, I would say, from the perspective of being in the United States, just which is what we are, because that's where we we are from. So a lot of this conversation is really kind of gravitating toward that because that's 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 our lives, right? Especially in an election year, you got uh, that kind of a, a spotlight on that. So as we record this, just remember, that's where we're coming from. But a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about applies to pretty much any place where there's a democratic process. It's mm-hmm. the question of what is the technology around voting? How does that shape voting? What are some potential changes in the future? What are some of the, the risks or benefits of that technology?
1: How do people cheat
4: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a big one. Specifically, yeah, we are talking about voting. So maybe what I said was not strictly correct in that we wouldn't have to be talking about democracy. We could be talking about an oligarchy ruled over by a small elite of people who vote on what happens to everybody else. Again, the as long as, as long as the voting <laughs> procedure is somewhere in there. Right. Uh,
1: yeah, but, but I don't think you can use the movie announcer voice to say, like, today we're talking about the future of oligarchy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring as democracy. We're
3: also not going to dive into some of of the related topics that we could have explored, but it would have made this episode even longer. Things like, what about the future of the Electoral College? Will that always be a thing? We're not going to go into that. We're specifically focusing in on the voting aspect.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Because there's there's way too much to go into. Otherwise, we could do a whole podcast. Like, not an episode, but a series about this if we wanted to.
4: Yeah, well, I want to take you listeners out there to a place you might not usually go with your brains. Okay. okay. So you might Participate in some kind of no, no, no. no.
1: Okay,
4: Uh, some kind of electoral process, and you take the voting process for granted. Maybe you vote, maybe you don't vote, but you know, you know, voting goes on. You basically (laughs) voting is something that happens. You basically assume that the elections are fair. I mean, hopefully they are. Yeah, Uh, but think about trying to organize a massive democratic election yourself.
1: I mean, especially. I mean, like, have you ever tried to order a pizza for like ten people? Yeah yeah like picture that, but with presidents and uh how many millions of people On one do we right. have? of
3: the pizza I would like Taft <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> so if you have never yeah so so imagine you have no infrastructure in place, you've never done this before, you've just got say uh, we'll we'll shrink the number to a very manageable size. You've got ten thousand people and you're trying to get them. To vote on something to find out what they voted for, how would you do it? If I'm going to sit there and have 10,000 people vote on things, I want to make sure I have a way of
3: distributing uh, uh, ballots of some sort that's fair so that everyone has access to it, that does not appear to uh, have a bias to it, so it doesn't seem to weight one option over another or over several others, depending on the type of vote, that is easy to complete, so that the barrier to actually participating in the voting process is low and that is easy to tally so that I can make certain that I can get the results back at a reasonable amount of time and is difficult to game the system. It is not a – that's not a – That's a lot of stuff. That's you got that's to just, juggle
4: several balls there. And
3: just for 10,000 people, it would be really, really hard. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't want
1: to uh, do start, it. Starting from scratch, yeah. Yeah. That's – It's
3: a daunting prospect.
4: But imagine a country of 300 and something million. Right. uh, Of of whom,
3: you know, a a good percentage are uh, of eligible voting age. Yeah. 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 It's it's really tough. Really tough. And beyond that, in the United States at least, we don't have a single, like, approach to this. It's not like there's one uh, methodology that is used throughout the entire country and everyone follows it, and therefore it's all exactly the same, and you can be certain that if it's, if it's not fair, it's at least consistent. Huh. That's not the case. Yeah.
4: You know, fun fact, they vote in Iowa by taking a bite out of a piece of cheese that represents who gets their vote.
1: Oh. Good times. What so, kind of cheeses?
4: Uh, one is a Munster cheese, uh-huh. and the other is plot twist head cheese.
1: Oh. Oh, man. That is a plot twist. you, you
3: got to really be dedicated to voting, uh, especially if you're lactose intolerant.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. It depends on how hungry you are. I suppose. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> there, there, are, there are a lot of uh, things that you have to kind of suss out in creating this sort of system. But history has provided us with really quite a lot of examples to work from.
3: Yes, yes. So – Going back, you know, democracy itself, if you're looking at the the representational democracy that we have here in the United States, uh, there have been some examples that you could argue from from history. So how how would we look at voting from a historical perspective? Let's say that we're going back, I don't know, Renaissance time period. What would be – the methodology for voting back then. Well,
1: the method the methodology for voting in the Renaissance was actually taken from the methodology for voting in ancient Greece. So, so, so this system is is you know a, a few thousand years old, so give you or take. Here, join the
3: you joined the Thunderbirds, right? And you do musical numbers.
4: Lauren, please proceed <laughs> as well, if he said nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh and the, the ancient Greek system um was 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 tokens. You 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 take a token representing your your choice of of electorate, no, that's the wrong word, of of elected official or stuff. And uh, and you put it in the appropriate box. Mm-hmm. Um and and that is where eventually we got the word ballots from because it derives from the Italian ballotte, which is a diminutive form of the word ball. So hmm. ballot, ball, ballote. Ballot, yes. Uh, the, the The word ballot was first used in Venice, circa the 1540s, where indeed small balls were used to cast votes.
3: So you would just place this, like you've got your boxes there, and you got like, maybe candidate A or candidate B, mm-hmm. and you think, well. Candidate A is a real stand-up person. I'm gonna vote for Candidate A and Candidate B, I, I can go take a long walk off a short pier. I'm gonna put this ball into Candidate A's box and then presumably you would just count up all the balls in both boxes and whoever had the most wins.
1: Uh, alternately you might have like a, like a, like a light colored token and a dark colored token given to you and, and you, you can, the, you can put, you know. Whichever one you want. Exactly, into a box.
4: So I've got a question. Mm-hmm. Who invented that type of voting that looks like it's a bunch of bull to me where somebody stands at the front of a room and says all who, who agree say aye and some people say aye and then other people say nay. And it's like, you didn't actually count. You just sound, you know, oh, that sounds like more. That'd um, be parliament.
1: That was Sir scream <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Of the, of the, uh, Long-standing Scream-O-Matic clan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, no. No. But but voice voting is another form of voting that goes back quite a long time, especially in American history. Um, it, it was part of our history up until like the 1860s at the very least, which kind of is surprising to me that ballots didn't catch on everywhere earlier than that. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the voice voting is the practice of going to your polling location and calling out your name and your vote to the recording clerk, and that's your vote.
4: That sounds cheaper than buying a bunch of balls and boxes.
1: It also seems
3: to me that uh, yeah. it, it means that everyone knows who you voted for. Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah, that is extremely true. And it also led to a lot of uh, dishonesty in terms of, of, of pressure from outside sources. Like if you, if you knew that your boss was going to be in that polling location and your boss really wanted you to vote for candidate A – then there's not a good way to get around to being like, I'm voting for candidate B like that. It's, you know, you're, it's shouting. Yeah. This is the democracy of shouting, right? It's the internet,
3: right? Which, which <laughs> could then mean, I mean, the reason why we, one of the reasons why we value privacy when it comes to casting a vote is that it helps you get around being intimidated into voting for something you don't truly believe in, right? You aren't, you aren't feeling a, a, an intense sense of communal pressure to vote a specific way If your vote is anonymous, but at the same time, if your vote is anonymous and private, that's where you start to introduce the question of, is it a legitimate vote or has someone been... Putting in fake votes on uh, sure. their behalf,
1: sure. And it was pretty pretty safe in that sense because it was, you know, in, in general, if you have a uh, if you have a person come up and get sworn in by a judge, say, "Hey, this is my name. I am allowed to vote, and I have not voted yet." Then the judge goes, "Cool." Everyone else in the room goes, "Cool," and then you shout your vote. Uh, that that that's a you know communal effort at keeping everybody honest and making sure that no one is in there voting seventeen times.
3: Right. But it does still mean that. If you feel like I really want Candidate A to win, but if I say Candidate A, those big people in the back of the room are going to totally roll me as soon as I leave here.
4: Okay, we've got to address something before we proceed in this episode. We can't keep saying Candidate A and Candidate B. So from <laughs> now on, we will say Kang and Kodos. Okay, okay Kang and Kodos. Don't blame me. Absolutely. I voted for Kodos.
1: <laughs> uh, moving on to paper ballots, yes. the amazing technology that is paper. Uh, so. Uh, originally, ballots like this were, were just a slip of paper that you would bring in yourself that you had written out your, your candidate choice onto. Alright. And, uh. So it's
4: just a little piece of paper that says Kodos.
1: Yeah. Or Kang.
4: Yeah.
3: I mean, if you, if you want to support a Kang. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: eventually, the, the, the interested parties, you know, the, uh, the National Convention for, for Kang would, uh, would begin handing out little pre-completed tickets uh-oh um, saying like like hey like like you probably since, since you're voting for me you probably want to vote for all these other people uh-huh. uh, you definitely don't want to vote for any of those other people yeah. so uh, and and so
4: the, so here's Kang and here's all the Kang approved down ballot names yes
1: and, and that's where we came up with the word a uh, ticket like if you're voting Democratic ticket or Republican ticket okay. uh, that that was the word for the single piece of paper that someone would hand you and go like just drop it in the box it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have some laughs. Um, and this system was pretty private, uh, but it pr- did provide a whole lot of opportunities for, for uh, ballot box stuffing.
3: So fraud.
1: So fraud, mm-hmm. cheating, um, which led to changes like, like the, the boxes being transparent, um, which made your vote less private again. So, full. Huh, uh, especially because now, now you, the questioning look in your eye may be, what's that dude with a camera outside of our recording studio? Or it may be, <laughs> wh- why would, why would a transparent box make a paper ballot less private? And the answer to that is, is that uh, a lot of these tickets that parties were handing out were on these very distinctive bits of paper so that a party official standing in the back of a voting precinct could kind of like head tally who was voting for their representatives. Uh-huh. So so uh, so when you made the boxes transparent, it made everything less anonymous. And you get back into that uh, that 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 group of, group of goons out there is going to roll me as soon as I get out of the polling box. Mm-hmm. So this this led to the idea of secret ballots. Mm-hmm. Secret ballots. Why haven't we been using these all the time? Uh, the the concept of a government printing a ballot with all of the running parties. In providing that piece of paper to every voter who comes in, uh, it was instituted for the very first time in Victoria, Australia, in 1858.
4: That's crazy. I would. It's hard to imagine.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but it, you know it, it had to do with with like funding and just no one had thought of it before. Huh. I, I guess, or, or at the very least thought of it hard enough to make it go. So, yeah. Hey,
3: guys, I'm really tired of being beaten up. <laughs> what if we just made this stuff secret so that, you know, they stopped beating me up?
1: And, and, and even even from 1858 um, in the United States, certainly the system was very slow to take hold. Um, some localities still allowed voters to bring in whatever little bit of paper they wanted through 1940 at the very least. And I'm looking at you, Delaware. You're messing stuff up for all of us. Uh, <laughs> so so, so this, this system, of course, is very private. That's great. Um, and it kind, of, it kind of shifted the way that people cheat at voting. It shifted it from influencing the voter or, mm-hmm. or having, uh, having voter fraud to having counting fraud.
4: Ah, yeah. Now,
1: if you want to influence an election, you have to figure out how to influence the counting, which people proceeded to do. Mm. Uh, although we we'll, we will get into that a little bit later, but um, but but one more one more technology that I wanted to talk about in order to set up um, how voting works today is the very first concept of a voting machine, um, which were which were lever devices, um, and and some of you guys out there may have actually used these pretty recently. Um, uh, lever lever voting machines are these geared devices that first gained popularity in the 1890s, and uh, the way that they work is is there will be a bank of switches with all of the candidates' names in there, and uh, you pull switches over your chosen candidate's name, Mm -hmm. and uh, then pull a main lever to cast those votes, which uh, turns all of the chosen gears and then resets all of the switches. Um, The the maker of one famous brand of this, uh, one Jacob H. Myers of the Myers Automatic Booth, said said that the machines were designed to, and I quote, Protect mechanically the voter from rascaldom, <laughs> and make the process of casting the ballot perfectly plain, simple, and secret.
3: And loud. Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. <laughs> rascaldom, though, y'all. That's this is great. my. This is my favorite I, of the day. I
3: remember these sorts of machines. Uh, not they haven't been in use in Georgia for quite some time. But I remember... But they were
1: used until 2010. 2010. Right. Since
4: then, I mean, since New then
1: York they States, have not I'm been. looking at you now.
4: <laughs> you know, I'd almost, I think I'd maybe rather use a machine like this than an electronic voting machine. We'll get
3: into those in a, in a little bit, but I, I see where you're going with that too. Uh, yeah, I remember going into this when um, I was with a relative who was voting and they were showing me how the voting process works and uh, sadly, Cleveland didn't take it. Harrison went back into... Uh, he took over the pres- 23rd presidency. And, uh, it was a, it was a good day though, other than that. I mean, uh-huh. it was, it was really interesting to see how, how the voting process works. Moving on into this, this idea, what about, what about more current forms of voting? Because like we just said, the, the lever machines, those finally were phased out of the United States in 2010. Uh, we should look at oh, some of the things that we're
1: using now. Uh sure because okay so so as as we have been saying here uh there there's no one system. There there are many systems that are in use throughout the United States. It it depends deeply on what jurisdiction you're in.
4: Fun fact, did you know that under the United States Constitution, you do not have an explicit right to vote?
1: Hmm. Huh. Kind of weird. That- You'd think that that would be up there.
4: Yeah, so it's not in the Constitution. There's nowhere it says explicitly that you have a right to vote. Now it's pretty clear throughout the Constitution that voting is just sort of an assumed behavior. It's It's,
3: in the subtext,
4: right? It it assumes elected (laughs) officials. It uh, prohibits certain restrictions on the right to vote in the amendments. You know, the amendments say the right to vote based on race or, or uh, sex will not be infringed or right. something like that. Right. But there's nowhere in there it just says, by the way, you know, adult people in this country can vote. Huh. So that's kind of strange. Some legislators have actually proposed constitutional amendments to fix this, but it hasn't happened yet. So still, the U.S. Constitution does not say anywhere that you can vote.
1: I have another fun fact that's a little bit more actually fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. uh, Texas passed a law that says that astronauts can and should vote electronically from space if they are in space during an election. That's pretty cool. Uh, It is really
3: hard to drop a ball from (laughs) low Earth orbit into a box that's in Texas.
4: They originally tried to do voice voting. That wasn't very good either.
3: (laughs) There were – like mistakes were made so
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's as of 1997 astronauts from texas can definitely participate in texas elections from space yeah man good job think, texas i
3: wonder what that's gotta be like right like can you just imagine like hey bill stop looking over here this <laughs> is my this is my my right to making a private vote here like it, it, it's crazy I, I i mean it obviously makes sense but it's one of those things where I just didn't occur to me until <laughs> until we started doing this episode. So talking about some of the other ways that here in the United States people vote, uh a lot of states still use paper ballots in some way, shape, or form, uh particularly the upper Midwestern states and New England. Um they paper ballots can take different uh forms themselves. It's not like they're all uh you know produced by one company and then shipped off to each state. You've got the optical scan approach, which is kind of similar to standardized tests like the SAT where, you know, you fill in the circle completely so that a Scantron type machine can mm-hmm. tally the votes later. So
1: that a human person doesn't have to sit there and go through all of them.
3: Right. Although sometimes a human person does, but that's not the intent. It is to make that automation a uh, possibility. Mm-hmm. And then there are uh, punch cards, which if you, We're paying attention to the elections back in 2000. You heard a lot about hanging chads. Uh huh. Uh, Especially in Florida. Yep, yep. You, this is where you would, you use, usually you typically use a little, uh, punch hole t- kind of device thing to push
1: uh, a chat out it, it depends on it depends on whether you're in a precinct with a machine um where that's true sometimes there'll be like a like a button thing that you use or um if you're doing a mail-in thing which is what i did in florida for that election where they they like send you a paper clip with your mail-in ballot <laughs> and they and Spared the, no expense and the instructions are like unfold this paper clip and and punch with it yeah,
4: the idea being that you. Come so on- wait a minute, Lauren, you voted in two thousand in, in Florida, Florida. Yeah. Do you know if your vote for Kang was counted?
1: <laughs> you know, I re- to this day I'm not sure. It w- it was very confusing. The little punch card. Like, I mean, I consider myself a, like a relatively uh, uh, observant human person. Right. Uh-huh. And like- I and I definitely was not positive whether I was voting for Kang or Kronos. To be
3: t- to be fair, <laughs> I I consider myself a uh fairly capable at 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 simulating a human being, and i have also <laughs> i have also found numerous voting devices to be unnecessarily. Obtuse. Like, to the point uh-huh. where I'm thinking, like, I understand what, first of all, when you read a sentence and you think, I understand what each individual word in the sentence means, but when you put them together and this order I've never
1: seen them strung together quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
4: yeah, like sometimes in Georgia we'll have, uh, we'll have oh, state referendums gosh. on an issue. And, and it'll be like and three and pages. You're just <laughs> standing there trying to read this, and it has like 14 negatives in it. Right the The right to not do X when unprivileged with X, you know, will yeah. not Shall be not, uninfringed. Yeah, yeah and you're, you're
1: like, like <laughs> I'm not. I, don't, I just did a visual gag on an audio <laughs> I show. An audio I'm really podcast. sorry, guys. Uh, there was yeah. a lot of
3: there were a lot of uh, faces being pulled at that yeah. moment. But uh <laughs> so with the punch cards, you know, obviously the way you vote is that you you punch a hole next to whatever your choice is, right? Mm-hmm. You either it's usually a pre-perforated type of, of uh, ballot so that you're actually just punching out something that's meant to be punched as opposed to having to make a hole <laughs> in that piece of paper. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and of course the idea with that is that again you could have an automatic tally machine you could feed it through and uh, the machine would very quickly be able to determine who you voted for based upon where the holes are.
1: Uh, yeah, and an interesting story about these they, they came about in the 1960s when a couple of Berkeley professors adapted IBM's Like pre-cut punch cards for computers, Mm -hmm. and their their portable punching machine for those cards, um, in order to to make and and cast ballots. And uh, IBM briefly owned the company, um, uh, the Votomatic. (laughs)
3: That's the great uh, that's terminology a, of the day, right? That's a
1: 60 sist term that I've heard yeah. all day, and I love it. Um, and, and actually, one of the first tests of this technology was conducted right here in Fulton and DeKalb counties in Georgia. Yeah, huh. that's
3: uh, those are counties. Interesting
1: to the three of us and maybe not to anybody else. Yeah,
3: counties in the metro Atlanta area, mm-hmm. if, if you were not aware. And uh, you, there's, if you're not from Georgia, there's no reason you would be.
1: <laughs> huh. uh, but but yeah, these these uh, the the photo the votomatic and and other similar punch card devices have generally fallen out of fashion um, in a widespread kind of way because of these these issues with with jamming and with less than clean punches and with the dangling chads chads yeah
3: the chad by the way that refers to the little piece of paper that you've punched
1: of, out yeah right. perforated yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, the the and you could imagine that these problems with uh, processing these punched out pieces of paper, they increase as the age of the machines that tally increase. Like, you know, things just start to break down. Also, you could imagine that if there are more people voting, if you have a greater volume of votes that you have to process, then you have uh, the the potential for more problems happening over time. And that's not that's not great. <laughs> that's not a great uh, way of, of, uh, making sure you have a fair, a fairly and consistently and, and speedily run, uh, election process. And then you've got, uh, ballot marking devices. And these are usually reserved for people who would have difficulty making marks on paper ballots. Um, it usually involves something like a touchscreen interface and an audio output to help voters navigate the ballot. So if you have like, a uh, Problems with your vision, this might be something that you use so that you can still participate in the voting process and still have a private, you know, a secret ballot as opposed to having to rely on someone else to put the, that in for you, mm-hmm. which would necessarily mean that you have to share your vote with someone else. Mm-hmm. kind of goes against the spirit of the thing. Um, and there's votes by mail. A couple of states uh, conduct their their votes by mail. Um, Washington State, Oregon and Colorado do. Uh, you Im- you could imagine that any state where you have uh, a pretty uh, sparse population or people just tend to live very far apart, it's very difficult to create polling places that are centrally located for enough of the population so that they can actually participate in the process. So yeah. that's, a, that's a possible solution is doing the votes by mail. Uh, and uh, paper ballots, like we said, could be tallied manually or by machine. So in some cases, you actually had people – Whose job it was was to go through each of those paper ballots and mark down what the the various uh, uh, votes were for.
1: But various types of scanners have uh, have come out, yeah. more recently too, and,
3: and lots of different ones. Like different states use different companies. It's not again. It's not like there's a an impartial producer of voting machines and tallying devices, and that's where all of it comes from. No, there there are co- companies from across the United States that make. Either the voting machine or the tallying machine or both uh, and different states by different ones. So you don't have a consistent kind of um, experience from one state, sometimes not even between one county and another. You can come across some very different systems and that can be a little uh, – I don't know if daunting is the right word because you're not typically going – as an individual going to encounter more than one system because you're going to be in whatever county you you reside in. But it seems perhaps counterintuitive if you're trying well, to have.
4: What if you need to go to the next county to vote again?
3: <laughs> so you live in so you live in Illinois. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you've been dead for 50 years, and you want to vote <laughs> as many times in the Chicago election as possible. You've only got until dawn. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right, because then you turn
3: to dust, and then <laughs> yeah, we have fun with Chicago, but we love you. Uh, This moves us over into a pretty controversial but also extremely common method of voting. Uh, Yeah,
4: the last few times I have voted, I voted on one of these, the the direct recording electronic voting system. Yeah,
3: the DREs. These are the – essentially they're like touchscreen computer. uh, Typically it's like a touchscreen computer interface. Uh, In Georgia, that's been the case for – a while, and in fact, Georgia is one of the states that happens to have some of the oldest DREs currently in use. I think the ones that were purchased in Georgia were purchased before two thousand six. DREs typically have a ten to fifteen year long lifespan, and they have not been replaced mm-hmm. uh, since uh, they were
1: purchased. More, more on that in a minute. Uh, yeah. a, a quick historical note, though. Uh, Patents for electric ballot machines, not electronic quite yet, but 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 electric uh, like like telegram or telegram uh, telegraph based machines started appearing in like 1850, but nobody ever used them until 1975. Uh, Just just everyone was like ah, electricity. It's a passing phase. Yeah,
3: it's not as reliable as good old mechanical work. I, I can just imagine someone over in an office just kind of you know, a clerk with like the little the little visor on his head and he's he's got his chin in his hand and he's just sitting there looking at a little light bulb and then suddenly he blinks twice and another one for for Kang. <laughs> Mark another one down for Kang. Uh,
1: but, but but when we when we did eventually get ele- electric devices, they were uh like Push button kind of thing, sort of like, sort of like a keyboard or, or an old phone pad. If anyone ever pushed a phone button in yeah. their life,
3: yeah. And these these are meant to ret- record votes electronically, right? Like that's the the idea is that if you can record your vote electronically, it's speed of light. I mean, it's really easy to tally because you put it through a computer mm-hmm. program that just sorts the votes on its own, mm-hmm.
1: it, and the user interface is easy, right? Hypothetically, and.
3: and in theory, it it protects the person's privacy. And like there there are a lot of things that on the surface are very easy to point at as pros. Uh, To be fair, though, they're not all equal, right? There's some DREs that generate a hard copy of every single vote that is cast. And this is meant so that you can compare the hard copy against the electronic copy, make certain that the machines are accurately recording the votes as they were cast. Uh, In some Cases we would allow even the voter, him or herself, to see immediately after casting the vote if the paper ballot that is generated reflects what they actually chose. So they can be certain that their vote was recorded the way they wanted it to be recorded. There are other places that have absolutely no hard copy produced. So the
4: only copy is electronic. I just get a little card. Stick it in the machine, vote how I want, take the card out, give the card to somebody. Yep. And I don't see any – it's not a paper card. It's a little uh, – It's plastic. Like a yeah. smart
1: card, like a credit yeah. card-looking thing, yeah.
4: Yeah, that's
3: how it works in Georgia. We do not have a paper copy that gets generated. There's no way to compare a hard copy against the electronic copy and make certain that, in fact, the votes match up. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in greater detail. But you could see that that creates some – that could create some uh, some controversy.
1: Uh, unease, at the very least. Yeah. Uh,
3: and my, like I said, most of the time, the interfaces for the, these machines, they typically are touch screens, but you can also find some that are mechanical buttons. Like, you know, the, the screen tells you uh, which button corresponds with which choice. Press
1: and... A7 for Twix and Kang.
3: <laughs> exactly. Twix and Kang. Man, I remember that campaign. Uh, and again, since 2010, we haven't had any mechanical lever voting machines, but those were still in use up to that point. Uh, so in the United States, Congress passed the Help America Vote Act in 2002 to make reforms to the voting process. So it wasn't that long ago. And that act required states to invest money in updating and upgrading voting equipment. for Because as, as this equipment ages, then it has more potential for inserting errors. And when you're talking about voting, obviously the the stakes are very high, mm-hmm. right? You don't want there to be errors in that sort of thing. Uh, the act was actually drafted in response to problems people encountered in the 2000 election. And that brings us to a section about problems with voting and voting technology. Uh, one of the big ones is accessibility, making sure that the the system you have designed is uh, accessible by – The population at large and and that you're not excluding anyone through the design of your voting system.
4: Yeah, because imagine everyone has a legal right to vote, but say there's only one building in the entire United States of America where you can vote and it closes at 6 p.m. on voting day. And
3: it's up five flights of stairs. Yeah, the voting places up five foot. No elevator. Yeah. So anyone with mobility issues, anyone who can't get to that building. Yeah. You know, there, there are a lot Daleks. of different
4: Daleks. <laughs> you you can you can have somebody uh, granted explicitly the right to vote. yet yeah. The conditions make it such that they really can't. Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and this is sadly a thing that is that is contested in several places in the country.
4: Absolutely. More, yeah. More than
1: several. Uh, I would one say.
3: Of, one of the one of the other elements of that. Act I was talking about had a section in it about uh, how states had to come up with a voter ID system so that they could prevent fraud from happening. In other words, you can't just have someone show up and claim that they are eligible to vote in that jurisdiction and then cast a vote and then leave. Yeah. There has to be some way of of saying, yes, this person does have the right to vote in this jurisdiction according to that act.
4: But what if they are eligible to vote and they don't have the appropriate ID? Yeah,
3: that's a and that that is an, a continuing issue here in the United States in multiple jurisdictions. Uh, a very a very challenging problem because there are two very important uh, aspects at play here. The idea of let's make certain that we don't create a system that uh, allows folks to game that system and also let's make sure we create a system that allows the people who are eligible to participate in it to actually participate in it yeah yeah mm. the,
1: the people who are eligible to actually vote the once right yeah <laughs> and not more than that right it's and, and no one who isn't eligible
3: right <laughs> this is or who's it, dead right no one who's dead or yeah exactly uh and we could get into voter eligibility stuff too, but that would just be an enormous can of worms because there are different states that have different definitions of that. Like if you have committed a felony or been convicted of a felony mm-hmm. – don't even have to have committed a felony. You just have to be convicted of one. Uh, uh, that that could be – a that could strike you from ever being able to vote again in certain states. Not in all of them, but in some of them. So – That's another issue entirely. Uh, then there's problems with tallying votes. This gets back to that hanging chat issue. So that was when in Florida these ballots, uh, that had the punch hole variety, that wasn't the only kind. There were also the butterfly ballots that also, that had issues. They were related to the punch hole ones. Oh yeah. Um, Where
4: it wasn't clear which, uh, indicator areas were related to which names. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that was a real issue uh, with the punch hole ones. Sometimes the paper wouldn't completely tear from the ballot. That's when you get that hanging chad. It's still some. It's still partially attached to the ballot itself, uh-huh. and that could end up creating errors when the uh, when the votes were being tallied by machine. So there was a very close race in the United States in 2000. I mean, it was it was really coming down to Florida, mm-hmm. and so everyone was really paying close attention. And while many were calling for a careful recount of the votes to make certain that the votes that were cast accurately reflected the results that were being posted, the Supreme Court ruled that George W. Bush had won the election over Al Gore, and that caused its own controversy that lasted for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, so in the wake of that, that's when that act was drafted, saying we want to make sure that You know, we're not saying that something wrong definitely happened in 2000, but we want to make sure that that possibility doesn't arise again.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you're the person who won, it's not fun to be uh, entering public office with suspicion hanging over you that you're not actually the people's choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, To say nothing of the person who didn't win and are wondering if maybe they should have.
3: Right. Yeah. It's it is not healthy for the country as a whole. Yeah. Uh, So. Then we get to DREs without a paper trail like here in Georgia, the the type that we have here in Georgia. The concern here is that there's since there's no physical piece of evidence of a vote and it's all just a file, this could easily be misrepresenting the actual votes of the populace.
1: Like, Which we can't check because
3: we don't have anything to check it against. Mm-hmm. Right? If we even if we had a paper trail, the let's say that it's uh that's sending out a hard copy printed version, unless the voter, him or herself, is able to look at that paper trail and say, yes, this does accurately reflect what I chose, uh, then the paper trail is kind of meaningless, right? Because the paper trail could say the exact same thing that the electronic results say. Unless you relate it back to the individual voters, there's no way of saying that it is uh, verified or fraudulent. Right. So, because if if I sit there and like no 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 the 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 twenty thousand pages of votes I have here exactly match up against the electronic file, but it turns out that
1: but that if you poll those twenty thousand people
3: and they all voted something else, yeah. then you're like well shucks, uh, you know there's nothing that links it to the actual intent of the voter, and it's really challenging to change that. Without bringing that privacy concern back up and saying, well, unless we're specifically linking very specific votes to a very specific people, how do we verify this? And if we do that, then we remove the privacy from the vote. It's no longer a secret ballot. And mm-hmm. that's very important in this process. So uh, that's been pretty ugly. Um, and also, it's very easy to lose electronic votes, it's a file. It's not hard to completely disenfranchise an entire population, uh, from an, uh, from any sort of voting process by quote unquote losing on purpose an electronic file. Not that that necessarily.
4: Or by happens. losing on accident. Even, I mean,
3: even by accident. Even if right. somebody sure. didn't
4: mean to, you don't want votes to be lost. Right. Oh,
3: sure. Right. Yeah. It's just that it's one of those things that it lends itself to conversations where you start to make cynical assumptions. Yeah. That the parties that are, perhaps uh, administering a a vote have a vested interest in the outcome of that vote and therefore they are working uh, toward that purpose. That's not necessarily the case, but this sort of stuff lends uh, ammunition to that kind of argument, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, well, if they can do it, then they must be doing it. <laughs> and that's the problem. Uh, there's also the question of security. How do you make sure that the votes are actually coming uh, from legitimate sources and meanwhile, protecting that privacy. Um, all of this, the systems that are in place, according to that act I was mentioning earlier, are supposed to be auditable. But how do you make a system auditable that is also protecting the identity of the voters? How can you audit an electronic system and say, yes, in fact, I know that this is working because uh, Miss Johnson over there voted for Kang and it sure comes up as Kang over here and and uh Mr. Johnson voted for Kodos and it came up as Kodos and that dinner is going to be interesting but <laughs> i know for a fact the system is working that that's it's really hard to do but at the same time you got to say well an auditable system is important cuz you don't want there to be some sort of bias inherent in the machinery itself right so you start to see where these challenges are coming in. One potential solution to this or one that people have proposed is called the voter verified paper trail, mm-hmm. which sounds like Oregon Trail to me. It's like we're going on an adventure and we're probably going to get dysentery. You're voting um,
1: for Kodos and getting – yeah. Yeah, dysentery. Eaten by right? yeah. Like,
3: like, yeah, Kang broke your leg. And I now bought f- three barrels of salt pork. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to play Oregon Trail now. But uh, uh the, verif- the Voter Verified Paper Trail talks about producing a paper ballot that reflects the electronic choices of the voter. And then ideally the voter would be able to compare the paper ballot uh, to the output of the electronic screen and make certain that in fact it does say exactly what they intended it to say. Uh, but of course if you were particularly sneaky, you could have the printed ballot reflect what the displayed – Uh, Results are on the screen but have the recorded vote be something totally different. So like vote number 150, on the screen it says this. On the paper ballot, it says the same thing. That's exactly what I wanted. Press submit. But when it goes to be saved, all the votes get switched. Mm -hmm. That's entirely possible. So it's not a perfect system either, right? And because the electronic approach – has the capacity of affecting a very large number of votes with a relatively small amount of effort. That has got a lot of people uh, worried about it, right? Like if you wanted to affect paper votes, that takes a lot of effort, especially if assuming that the, the people running the election yeah. are on the up and up, it's hard to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need help. Yeah, if you are capable of, of uh, uh, executing an attack upon a vulnerability in an electronic voting system, then you could affect thousands or maybe millions of votes from one single source. And that, I think, is where a lot of people are saying, okay, we really have to reevaluate the approach we're taking. And then there's that, that question of, of including a bias in a system, which is not just an a academic discussion uh, in, in many ways, because this question was very seriously raised in the not too distant past. Uh, because of the political um, involvement of a CEO who was the head of a company that made voting machines,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, specifically talking about the the then CEO of Diebold Incorporated back in 2003, Diebold was one of the big companies producing voting machines. They they had their business was mainly uh, ATMs, but they also did voting machines, and the same CEO. Uh, wrote fundraising letters on behalf of the Republican Party and included the sentence, quote, I am committed to helping Ohio deliver its electoral votes to the president next year, end quote.
4: Now, I suppose that could be interpreted in an innocuous way. Sure. Just uh, saying just like, like, I, I, I want to help with the system.
3: You yeah, know? I am going to advocate for this person and we're going to get him into office. That That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is saying, I'm the head of a company that creates voting machines, and I could totally make this happen. (laughs) Mm. So at
4: least for people reading that on the outside, introduce suspicion.
3: Right. It raised ethical questions. It was obviously a conflict of interest for someone who is the head of a company that is producing machines that are supposed to be unbiased and and not give any weight toward one choice or another so that you have – a a uh, an approach that any voter can come into absolutely with a clean slate and just be confident that their vote will be reflected, uh, and then they're also advocating for a specific party. That is problematic, and it has raised some pretty tough questions.
4: Now, of course, one solution that people have discussed to this is that if you know if you have machines that have software governing the the process behind counting votes. That software should be open source. People should be able to see what the code is doing. Yeah. Uh, but of course, companies who make those machines probably don't want that.
3: No, they they take a very proprietary approach. And again, it's different systems across the United States. Right. So you have, uh, you don't have a consistent approach. And according to professors with John Hop- Johns Hopkins University and Rice University, who did a study on various DRE machines, they said that out of all the DRE machines they looked at, none of them used cryptography correctly Ooh. and many of them didn't use it at all. So that you have these unencrypted results there that could be altered. They could be – it could be stolen so that someone is getting specific information about specific voters. It's, it was a big mess. Um, so we obviously see that there are some real areas for improvement uh, there's some opportunities here. <laughs> if we were giving, if we were giving uh, voting, the voting process, a a review, a performance review, right now, we'd say we've we've identified some areas, uh, some opportunity areas we for us. We feel
1: like you're not living up to your full potential,
3: and we want to try and fix you. Man, how, how many of my performance reviews have gone with that specific route? We want to fix you,
4: get you fixed.
3: Yeah. <laughs> So, uh one of the big issues facing the United States uh is this aging voting equipment story. Like I said, Georgia's got some of the most ancient of the the DRE systems that are out there. And by the way, as of 2015 when the Atlantic ran a piece about aging electronic voting systems, had no intention of replacing them or at least no plan to do mm-hmm. so. Uh And according to the piece in The Atlantic from 2015, it said the problem of aging voting technology reaches nearly every corner of the United States. Unlike voting machines used in past eras, today's systems were not designed to last for decades. And this is an issue we see just by going in that high-tech route. I mean, if you've bought a computer, you know that after a few years, that computer just doesn't seem to work so well anymore. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and furthermore, you're, you're going to, especially like I, I read that I read that a lot of the systems that are in place are, are from the 1990s, even. Yeah. And uh, and when you're using equipment that old, you start getting into the issues that you would get into with with any kind of proprietary legacy systems. You know, right. the, the the vendors eventually stop using that operating system and aren't going to be able to help you uh, uh, fix or update anything that goes wiggy
3: so when you do have a a situation where let's say a machine goes down in a busy polling place you may not have any way of of addressing that in a in a way that that matters to any of the voters who are in line and so that process slows down more and more this in turn can create a hardship on the people who want to vote it can it can it can disincentivize. I guess I, that's a terrible. That's not even a real word. But it no, can totally no, no, no. use it. Disincentivize. <laughs> yes. When I'm living, when I'm living in suburban areas. Yeah. That was my other terrible flub I've done in the past uh, that I will never live down. And so I've just adopted it. It will make it will make people less likely to go out and vote because if they go out there and they see that there's a line that stretches around the block and hasn't moved significantly for the last 20 minutes, then that creates this, this barrier to voting. And it is the opposite of that accessibility we had been talking about.
1: Uh, sure. So, okay, so we want to replace these systems, but what kind of technology would it be best to implement? Should, should we take some off-the-shelf stuff that would be uh, cheaper and easier to set up and also easier to hack? Oh,
4: Yeah. Well, Let's just, like, put some MacBooks on the... Uh... <laughs> You know, oh, here's my voting app
3: right
1: and, and yeah. it's and it's easy
3: for us also to to say, "Hey, you guys should replace those systems, but
4: that costs money uh-huh. and then you get into the argument of who pays for this, and this is I bet you know I have a guess who pays for it, yeah. somebody else well,
3: <laughs> ultimately it's the taxpayers who uh-huh. pay for it. Right. Ultimately, but I mean at each
4: jurisdiction.
3: Right. The question is, is it is it coming from county budgets or state budgets? Those tend to in the United States, that tends to be a pretty hotly contested uh uh kind of argument about whether should it be the local region that has to pay for those upgrades or should it be a state budgetary concern. And uh some in fact the Atlantic report says that like some of the problems here is that it seems like the the various parties are essentially waiting until something catastrophic happens and the federal government steps in and says, all right, now we're going to have to pay for these upgrades. But that's not a great strategy, right? Let's. Well, I'd like to build up the levy a little more, but I don't have the money for it. So we're just going to wait for a, a massive storm to come in, wipe out the levy. Lots of people are going to be harmed, perhaps killed in the process, but afterward we'll have the money to build up that levy again.
4: Or we're going to change public opinion with a John Bonham drum solo.
3: <laughs> also a possibility. So one of the other options we have heard about in the past is the idea of allowing people to vote over the internet.
4: Genius. There it is. That's the. I mean, I would love to be able to vote online. I, I don't know if I'd feel very good about it, But that would be great because Uh, the last time I went to the polls, I went there and I, you know, I got there and they were like, oh, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be at this other place back where your old address was. And I was like, why? I registered (laughs) here.
3: I just want, uh, I just want an approach like American Idol where two different phone numbers pop up and I just have to call one of them. mm -hmm. That's what I want. No, uh, so the internet, like you're, you know, the idea of having something really convenient and instantaneous, and having uh, this ability to to see in real time what election results are going, like who's in the lead and who's behind, that has a certain uh, you know charm to it, has certain attractiveness to it. Uh, you could argue that this would open up access to even more voters. It, it Lowers that barrier of participation even further for people who have access to a computer anyway. That's still yeah. not that's non trivial, by the way.
4: Like, oh yeah, you know that's that's still that's still a huge assumption. Uh, but I mean. Th- there are a lot of people who probably are, you know, they worry about how can I get away from work. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they've got stuff to do. They're afraid. I mean, technically, your boss is supposed to let you go vote, but a right. lot, but in practice, a That's lot of That's not people necessarily
3: like, going to be how it turns out. Like, yeah. And it's not like most of us are equipped to say, oh, well, I was going to vote, and then my boss said that I had to come in, and so now I'm going to have a civil lawsuit. Now, most of us can't do that. Yeah. Right? Sure. Sure. It's not something that we. It's not. A, it's not a realistic yeah. approach.
4: Uh, so yeah. It, so that could make it easier in those cases. You can just go to work still, and then if you get log you, know, in. you get a ten minute break, go vote on your break.
3: Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, th- this might end up increasing voter participation, which is something of a. A weird topic here in the United States, too. You may have heard that in the U.S. that voter participation is particularly low. The Pew Research Center found that voting participation in the U.S. Uh, was uh, that um, only 71 percent of the United States citizens who are eligible to vote uh, were even registered.
1: It's been decreasing for 50 years running.
4: <laughs> I, I actually saw some figures earlier today that if true, they say that more than half of eligible 18 to 24 year olds are unregistered. Oof. Yeah, so that's. So young people especially don't even get registered. So That's even just, that's just registering, not, yeah. You know, that's
3: so that you can vote, right. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're seeing that the participation on that side is pretty low. But to be fair, uh, to be perfectly fair, some countries that have incredibly high percentages, it's compulsory. Like you have no choice in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some, some of them, you have no choice but to vote as well. Like you are, you are compelled to vote. So it all depends upon the systems you look at. It's not, it, we can't just assume that all of them are equivalent to the approach the United States takes. Yeah. Um, it would be a very different story if in the U.S. you not only had to register to vote, but you had to vote in every election. <laughs> You'd see the numbers go up if you had like real consequences that could happen to you if you did not participate. So, yeah, that's important to keep in mind too. Uh, so there are some people who say yes, we should have internet voting. It would it would mean that more people would participate in the system. That the whomever is voted or whatever measures are passed would accurately reflect the majority, the the desire of the largest number of people within the population who mm-hmm. are eligible to vote, and that that would be more fair. So. It would be super fast. It would be super easy to tally those votes. Why not go that way?
4: Well, one would be – you remember those old uh, rock the vote things? In yeah. the future, that could be replaced with hack the vote. You're, you're hmm. killing me that you're calling it the old rock the vote things. <laughs> I was a voting age when those were up. <laughs> no, come on. Hack the vote. Yes, that, is, yes. that is what – you'd, you'd have people like organizing conferences for fun just to try to do things.
3: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, communication over the internet is, is pretty much – Insecure. I yeah, mean it's, I mean, it's, it's, that's uh, like
4: excluding the people who would have organized nefarious campaigns trying to sway the election. Right. There's,
1: there's already been a, a published paper that that contains a known hack for attacking home Wi-Fi routers in order to tamper with PDF ballots on the way from a voter back to the precinct.
3: Yeah. So that's,
1: that is a thing that exists on the internet right now. And
3: that's that's so, that's before you actually see a rollout to a larger right. population. Like even if you're just doing a little pilot program where you're testing it out. Uh, you, you would have hackers target that. A general rule of thumb is the, the, uh, shinier the target, the more hackers are going to want to attack it, and nothing really gets shinier than the elections of a nation. Um, and you could see all sorts of ways to disrupt an election, from something as simple as a DDoS attack, the, the, the distributed denial of service attack, so that, that the actual servers that are accepting votes and allowing you to vote are down, thus you cannot even participate. There's that approach to perhaps infecting computers and having them vote via a botnet to sway results or to deny people their actual chance to vote. There are a lot of ways that they could block a vote so that it looks like you've cast your vote, but nothing has actually happened, or they could make uh, changes to results. I mean, there's so many different avenues to attack that making sure all of them are secure would be a massive undertaking. Uh, one that some security experts say is for, for all reality's sake, impossible. Like it's mm-hmm. just not, it's not within our capability of producing that. Uh, obviously, if you were to create that system, it would have a huge target where hackers would have this enormous incentive to try and find vulnerabilities. And it's highly unlikely we will ever produce a system with no vulnerabilities. So it would be a very high-stakes game. Uh, so you also have problems with transparency. How could you be sure that such an, a system, an Internet voting system, is accurately reflecting what is really happening on the voter side of things? Uh, right,
1: right. Back to the back to the like, Audits, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's digital. How do we tell? Exactly,
3: yeah. yeah. Unless, you're, unless you're able as a voter to say – I have cast a vote. I see that the vote recorded is, in fact, reflective of my choice. And I can see that it has been included in the overall votes. And I can see that in the final results, my vote is among them. Unless you have that assurance somehow, this is a very difficult approach. Now, granted, you could argue you don't have that assurance with other methods of voting either. Right, But – you could build that into an electronic system if it weren't for the fact that you still have these security issues that don't magically go away, right? Um, so yeah, this is something that a lot of people have pushed for. A lot of countries have pushed for at least experimenting with internet voting. But almost every computer security authority I could find said, this is not a practical idea. It is at best misguided and at worst it would be catastrophic. So, uh, yikes. Um, what about other ways? What if, uh, what if, what, what, let's go back to my smartphone. So let's say, all right, so let's say the, the calling the American idol number doesn't work. What about something else?
1: Oh, well, yeah, other, other methods have been proposed for, for coming a little bit halfway towards, towards getting, Getting more accessibility for people to vote, making it a little bit easier, like a, like a system where people could, could download an app on their phone, pre-complete a ballot, um, maybe even scan in qr codes from campaign p- posters if they so chose <laughs> um and then when you go to the polls you just upload it or even video conference yourself in to a polling official and uh, you know for for like military personnel overseas or something sure, like that sure. and uh, and and so that option could make it easier for for not just people who are are incapable for whatever reason that day of getting out to the polls but but also for for voters with disabilities mm. uh, with with audio or visual disabilities who who need a better way to, uh, to access that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: But of course, if your main concern is increasing voter turnout or ex- at least accessibility, I think there are arguments that there are other ways to increase voter turnout and accessibility that wouldn't compromise security in the same ways, and maybe it would be better to try those first. So, for example, uh, we might have mentioned this earlier, I think, but one is uh, making voting day a federal holiday. This is a pretty standard proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not. So we hold uh, you know, federal elections on Tuesdays in November. Uh, why do we do that? Because eh, we
1: have for a minute.
4: Yeah, so we do that, and it, <laughs> we most do people. Because ha- we always did it that way. That's m- not a reason. <laughs> most people have to go to work. Yep. Your on boss. Tuesdays. Your boss is supposed to say it's okay for you to leave work to vote, but. Mm. You know, bosses are supposed to do a lot of things. It doesn't always work that way in the real world. right? Um, So if you simply made the day on which the elections occur a federal holiday in which nobody is supposed to be going to work, Mm. then – Then that that should increase voter turnout. It should make it easier. And this has been advocated by a lot of people, among them Bernie Sanders, you know, Vermont senator and recent US presidential candidate. Right. Uh, But also, uh, universal automatic voter registration. This is a big one because one obstacle to voting is the registration block. So Mm -hmm. you can't just show up at the polls and say, hey, I'm over 18 and I'm not a felon, time to vote. Yeah. You Here, have here's to, my ID. Then. Yeah, yeah. Right. You,
1: you have to be registered, and you have to be registered a certain period of time before the elections.
4: Yeah, and so an easy way around this would be to say, well, why don't we just have some system that automatically registers everybody who's eligible to vote? Right. I don't understand what. Why don't we do that? And that actually is not only proposed; it's approved in five U.S. states uh, as of last month. So, according to the Brennan Center at the NYU School of Law, quote: Eligible citizens who interact with government agencies are registered to vote unless they decline, and agencies transfer voter registration information electronically to election officials. So this means you interact with any agency of state government or, or federal government. I guess you uh, you go to the DMV or you mm. do whatever mm. you know. You interact with the government. Uh, They know who you are and they say, "Okay, by the way, I see that you're over 18 and you're not a felon. You're registered to vote.
3: Yep. Unless you unless you say I
4: don't want to be
3: right. Right. That seems like a and to me, that seems like a a fair way of going about it, especially to remove that that uh, barrier of entry Mm -hmm. where people who are either uh, unaware of the process of registering to vote or it's not built into a way that's easy for them to get to or do or Mm -hmm. whatever that the barrier is just too high for them to go past it for whatever personal reason there may be. Uh, to remove that or as much of that as possible I think is That's, that's a decent thing to do. Doesn't, it doesn't even mean that that person has to vote. It just means that they are registered. Right. Mm -hmm. Well,
4: you know, sometimes I think I hear people making an argument like, oh, you know, how, how easy does it have to be? It's not that hard to get registered to vote, but. It
1: shouldn't be too easy. I mean,
4: think, think about your life. You, you, people have a lot of things going on. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of things to do. They might care a lot about politics, but they're also working very hard. They're taking their kids, you know. Well, and let's, let's take, I'll, I'll take myself as
3: an example because I, I come from a extremely privileged kind of background in that regard. And yet even I would have a certain barrier. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't drive, mm-hmm. for instance, right? So I don't get a driver's license. I do have a, an ID because I need one for lots of different reasons. So going to get an ID though, that's a, that's a pretty, that's, that's a, a lot of work for me <laughs> to get mm-hmm. there. I mean, that's before I even get into the point where you enter the DMV and you have, you know, the the whole uh, Labyrinthian line system that you have to go through and, and the waiting times and everything. Before you even get to that, it's hard for me to get to the place where I'm going to get my ID. Uh if it if it weren't for the fact that voter registration is just immediately lumped into that too, like I can just register to vote as I get my ID. If I had to do something similar to that, I could see it being one of those things where I've got to really I've got to really be like, dude, I, I it's my responsibility as a citizen to participate in this. I've got to push myself. But it right. would be pushing myself. It would not it would not be just so simple. Uh same thing for participating in the voting process. In my case very, very uh, fortunate in this sense. The polling place that I have to report to happens to be the walking route on the walking route to work.
1: Oh, wow. If it weren't. Yeah.
3: Imagine a work day where I have to walk the opposite direction. I'm already walking three miles to get to work. Um, it would be a, a more of a hardship. And I realize I am lucky in that sense. There are thousands of people out there who the situation I am in would seem like a dream to uh, them. Sure. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, at the very least, you could call an Uber or whatever yeah, if you really needed to. Yeah. Absolutely. But not, yeah. not everyone is, on, is, in that, is in that position. Sure. Right.
3: So again, like, you know, making the argument of, well, how difficult can it be often comes from such a position of, well... Yeah, in your situation, it may not be that big of a barrier. right? But not everyone is in your situation. But everyone
4: who is eligible to vote should still be <laughs> capable of, of going through that process. Right. And I guess we should say, you know, for the, all the things we've just been talking about, they do simply assume that increasing voter turnout is a goal we want to achieve. Now, personally, I'm fairly convinced that's a good thing. Yeah. But, you know, that, yeah. but I guess somebody could make the argument that as long as everyone has the opportunity to vote – uh, we shouldn't bother enacting measures to try to pump up the turnout. You know, maybe some people just don't care. Eh, you know, maybe, I, I think it's kind of a weak argument against making it easier to vote, because yeah. many people may feel they want to vote, but they're unable to because of other pressures on their time or something like that. But uh, as for people who genuinely don't care, I guess that you genuinely don't care, I don't see a good reason to try to pressure you to vote.
3: Right, right. I, I think the registering thing makes sense. I think Compulsory voting doesn't make sense. Yeah. Personally. Personally. <laughs> compulsory, uh, not so much compulsory but automatic registration, I'm in favor of. Compulsory voting not so much. If you don't care, you shouldn't not. Yeah.
1: If you haven't formed an educated opinion and right. you just don't go, right. whether you, you have bothered
4: to read anything, you know, are we really that eager to get you involved?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah
4: I'm not right. I'm not so worried about so much worried about that, but I'm uh, you know, someone who Someone who, for
3: whatever reason, doesn't feel like they want to participate in that particular uh, uh, voting process, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And they should not be forced to do
4: so. Well, but, that's another thing for some – whether or not you agree with the wisdom of this, for some people also they regard not voting as a legitimate form of protest. Sure. So. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I, as you were saying, like the people who argue against making voting easier, I'm, I was reminded of the – the bit in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of where the city plans for Arthur Dent's house was being demolished. like It was in a basement in a disused lavatory that had a sign on it saying, Beware of the Leopard, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like to some people, the the process they have to go through to either register or to vote is, while not that exact thing, at least you could – empathize with that passage, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't I think that's the bad way to go personally. That's yeah. my personal yeah. opinion. Um so yeah, this was a really interesting topic and like we said, you know, this just covered the voting aspect. Uh and uh, what is the future of voting? I imagine we're going to see some other uh probably other groups dip their toe into the idea of internet voting, I hope to a level that is done uh, responsibly and With the guidance from real computer security personnel, uh, I don't expect that to become widely adopted because of the vulnerabilities
4: we've already mentioned. You know, if we do, I suspect there will be extreme, uh, prank voting hacks that will, like, for example, Kang and Kodos will actually win elections.
3: It would, it would be really (laughs) odd. It would mean, it would mean that, it would mean an unprecedented approach, right? Like the point where a government would have to say, the results of this election are not are valid, valid and, void and we have to,
1: because that's a cartoon character we got to yeah.
3: totally do a do-over guys
4: it's like th- think about any time you've ever seen a a corporate identity or brand try to do a voting campaign on social media for mm. something Yeesh. You, every single time what happens he gets hijacked by people who right are trying because, to make fun of it yeah
3: as soon as you i mean we've talked about this before too right like as soon as you create a system, people want to see how far you can push the system before it breaks. Right. And when you're talking about something this big and this this important, it has lots of different implications, not just... On the voting side, but the privacy side, the security side. Uh, if you
4: let me generate my own Coca-Cola ads, I'm going to try to find a way to make one about demons. It's
3: – I mean that's just who Joe is. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this discussion about voting. Uh, it, I am curious to see how this continues for – I mean obviously because it has such a huge impact on millions of people and and uh, not just obviously in the United States but around the world. Uh, if you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, you got an idea for a topic that you would like us to cover, please send us an email or message on Facebook or Twitter. Our email address is fwthinking@howstuffworks.com. Our Twitter, Twitter handle is fwthinking. Or you can search fwthinking on Facebook and our profile will pop up. You can leave us a message there and we will talk to you again really soon.
2: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
0: shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home it's the place that brings family and friends together it's where you're the best version of yourself Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations listings start at 200k for one ownership. Picasso does all the work for you.